0: Welcome to the Prophecy Club. Leslie and I are going to minister in Honduras for 10 days, and thank you for your prayers, not only protection, but that God will be with us and use us in ministering to the people. So our absence is going to be your blessing. So over 20 years, we made 130 guest speakers in to make speaking tours for them, and they made 330 DVDs, most of which are available at WatchProphecyClub.com. So what we're going to do today is play about 30 minutes of one of those DVDs. And what we think are probably the top 10 or 11 DVDs that we've made. And so you're going to get a real treat. These are really good. And you can go and watch all of them at WatchProphecyClub.com. And I think if you'll go and check there, here, let me just explain. So Prophecy Club started in 1993. 130 guest speakers, 330 recordings. You're going to watch them all at WatchProphecyClub.com. We sponsored them on speaking tours anywhere from 10 to, at one time, we were having 40 meetings a month. Though I did run all of them. And uh, at one time, we had three different tours going with three different speakers. So we were, uh, at one time, we had about 5,000 people typically every month attending our meetings. And in those days, this was before there were other large prophecy ministries. I think at the time we were the number two prophecy ministry in America, second only in those days to Jack Van Impey. Uh, what we've done is chosen 11, me and the staff, chosen 11 of what we think are the best recordings over the last 20 years. So we're going to be playing 30 minutes out of each one of those recordings. Most of them are two-and-a-half-hour recordings, Some of them are doubles, which would be five hours. Normally, we offer them for $30 per DVD. And yes, if you want to go to prophecyclub.com, you can still get the DVD. And we are offering uh, all 11 of these recordings on DVD for a gift of $100. You can get that at prophecyclub.com. Now let's talk about Watch Prophecy Club. So all of these are put up so you can watch them. And, by the way, we now have an app, so you can watch them easily. You can go to Prophecy Club, and you can watch the Prophecy Club, or you can go to Watch Prophecy Club, you can go and watch all of these DVDs, or you can download our app. And the way the app works is that you can be watching a DVD, and then if you get a phone call, it pauses it. When it's done, it starts playing again. Introducing the Watch Prophecy Club app, now available for your Android and iOS devices. Watch Prophecy Club is your exclusive home for the last 30 plus years of the best in Bible prophecy and end times information from the Prophecy Club. This app features over 100 speakers and 23 categories of Prophecy Club titles since the beginning. We are also excited to announce an integrated community feature where you can interact with other believers and Bible prophecy students. Choose either a monthly or annual subscription with a three day free trial. Cancel anytime. So let's back up and talk about Watch Prophecy Club. It's $20 a month. There's no commitment. You can stop anytime you want to, or $200 a year. But if you'll put in TPC 2023 right there. You'll get the first month free, meaning you can watch all 11 of these for free, as long as you did it the first month. And if you put in TPC 2023 Y, you get a one-year plan for $180. You get $20 off. That's a really good deal. <laughs> Never thought it would be such a good deal. Anyway, normally $30 each, but you can get all 11 of these recordings for a gift of $100. ProphecyClub.com for that. If you want to watch them instantly, you go to WatchProphecyClub.com or the best way is simply download our app. You just go to the App Store and it's either Apple or Android and you can download the app and that is probably the easiest, fastest way, most convenient way to, to watch them. All right now, let me explain about the meetings. Typically, we would have anywhere from about 100 to the maximum we had at one meeting, which was Dimitri Dudeman. We had 1,000 people at one of his meetings. And so we would have them in a television studio where we could make you nice recordings, nice professional recordings, at least professional compared to those days. Now, we do a much better job today. In today's program, we're going to be covering Exposing the Illuminati from Within by Bill snevlin Now, Bill is one, I think he's made more DVDs for Prophecy Club than anyone. I think it's like seven. Very beloved speaker, extremely good. Bill Sneblin on this DVD was a satanic voodoo high priest, second-degree church of Satan, a New Age guru, cultist, Chandler, 90th degree Mason, Knight Templar, and a member of the Illuminati. Bill shows how the conspiracy works, how he uses the Lodge and the highest echelons of power that includes government and military, and technology from secret black project operations to form a world government. It is all newly updated with over an hour and 20 minutes of new information since the first one was made, and this one was recorded in August 1995. You can go and watch the entire thing at WatchProphecyClub.com. I encourage you to become a member of WatchProphecyClub.com. Right now, let's go listen to Bill Sneblin speak on Exposing the Illuminati from Within. Welcome to the Prophecy Club where we provide information and resources with a prophetic warning message to win souls to Jesus and to call people to repentance. In August of 1995, we had Bill Sneblin come in. He had gray hair then, too, by the way. (laughs) And uh, he was our guest speaker, one of the early guest speakers. We've had now over 130 at the Prophecy Club. And, uh, by the way, I didn't have gray hair then. Uh, I don't know why that's coming out. But anyway and uh, he made a videotape, then it was two hours, correction, two, two hour tapes, total four hours of of information on exposing the Illuminati from within. And it has been one of the most popular videotapes out of the Prophecy Club's 12 years existence, out of those 130 speakers, out of over 250 different titles, and to say when it's consistently been popular through the years with that much competition, That's good. And um, a couple of months ago, uh, someone suggested that we should have him back to retape it, to update it, and also to make it available now on DVD. And so that's why we're here today. So your topic today is Exposing the Illuminati from Within. Bill Sneblin was a satanic and voodoo high priest. He was a second-degree member of the Church of Satan, a new-age guru, an occultist, a channeler, a 90th degree mason, a Knight Templar, and a member of the Illuminati. In this particular talk, he's going to show you how the conspiracy works and how it uses the lodge and the highest echelons of power in our country and around the nation and technology from secret black project operations to form a world government, just like Daniel 7.23 and Revelation 1. A correction, Revelation 13 says, 13.7 to be specific. Will you help me walk on? Bill Sneblin! <laughs> Glad to Bill. Okay,
1: yes. It is great to be here, uh, and I was very excited when uh, Stan offered the opportunity for me to redo this because um, a lot of new stuff has come out, a lot of new uh, abilities to, to produce things that weren't around. It's just amazing the technological things that have happened in the last decade. So uh, I'm real excited about it. Uh, from the introduction, uh, I'm sure a lot of you think, how could anybody be that messed up? That he would get involved in that many things in one lifetime. Because <laughs> at that point, I mean, I, I don't believe in reincarnation, eh, amen? And so I was you know, doing all this stuff before I got born again, obviously. I stopped doing it then. And uh, so to do all of these things, people say, well, first of all, what made you so, so evil? Yes, that's a good word for it, evil. Uh, and uh, actually, you know, I, I, I will try and share what I think the, the problem was, but I, I had very good parents. I had no excuses from that standpoint. I, mean, I wasn't one of these poor kids that was beaten or locked in a closet or anything like that. I was, you know, very much a leave-it-to-beaver kid growing up. In fact, that was my favorite TV show. Not that it had anything to do with it. But, uh, but a couple of things happened. And uh, the first one was essentially that I was out doing the trick-or-treat thing. And uh, back then, this is, this is, see, I was born in 1949. So we're talking like probably 1959, 1960. You never heard anything about Halloween being bad back then. Uh, I mean, especially, I happen to have been born and raised Catholic, very devout Catholic, and, you know, some of you may not know this, the Catholic Church is actually what brought Halloween to America. Uh, so they saw nothing wrong with Halloween. Before, before the wave of Irish and German immigrants, and I can say this because I'm Irish and German in part, uh, came over here, Halloween was illegal. Did you know that? Most, most of the 13 colonies and most of the early states, it was illegal. But there was no teaching on that my parents didn't know anything about it so they they let me go out and do my little thing and one year i think it was about 11 12 years old i was out walking with my best buddy it was a beautiful starry october night and I was walking down the street and i just happened to look up in the sky because i was sort of an astronomy buff even as a kid and i saw i just was frozen by what i saw because instead of the sky being full of stars instead it was like this black cavern And it was covered with black, leathery things from horizon to horizon. And it looked, the only thing I can describe it is what I've seen on TV. It's like being inside of a cave that's full of bats. You know, it's just like thousands of bats. Except these things had little red eyes, which I don't think really bats have that feature. And they were staring down at me with these red eyes. And I could feel these eyes like going into my soul, just like burning their way into the very heart of my being. And I felt this thrill, this kind of unclean thrill go through me. I had no idea what it was. And I just sort of stopped, and I was transfixed by this. And I just stared there, and it was, like, it was almost like I was impaled by those eyes. I couldn't move. And my friend had kept walking, and, and he stopped and noticed I was kind of going like that. And he said, hey, Bill, what's going on? And I looked at him, and I looked back up at the sky, and the sky was back. There were the stars again the spell, so to speak, was broken. But from that time on, I began to have a fascination for things outré, for things weird. I started, in fact, uh, believe it or not, by I think the age of 13, I was already involved with getting into UFOs, parapsychology, haunted houses, ESP, all of this stuff. And that's kind of remarkable for someone who is never allowed to see a horror movie, Never allowed, I don't think I saw a science fiction movie until I was 14 or 15 years old. Because of course back then there wasn't much on TV, and my parents wouldn't let me go to those kind of things. So here I am, I'm getting into all this stuff, why? And I got really obsessed with UFOs. Uh, I mean, I, I would read everything i get my hands on, which in those days was not an awful lot. I was a member of NICAP, which is the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon which is one of the earlier UFO organizations. And uh, in fact, when my parents would drive around the country on vacation, I'd have to arm wrestle my dad into stopping and visiting all these UFO sites, like oh, or a haunted house, a famous haunted house, or, or some cemetery where the gravestone moved around, or some, some bizarre thing. or. I, mean, was, I was addicted to, to weirdness, let's face it. So, you know, I think that can partially be traced back to that very thing, to the fact that I had, you know, my parents had unwittingly allowed me to walk out on a night which is considered by Satanists to be the devil's birthday and to be out there unprotected, because it never occurred to my parents to pray for me before I went out the door on Halloween night. Uh, and I was out there un- unprotected. So then, the next thing that happened is I, I w- even at that point, I, from the time I was a youngster, I wanted to be a Catholic priest. That was my avid desire. I mean so bad that when I was a little kid I would actually cut up my mother's bedsheets and color them to make them into vestments. So I had it bad. And so I went to Loris College which was the like the minor seminary college in Iowa uh, for you know people who want to be a priest. Now an interesting thing you know a, a funny thing happened on the way to the priesthood as they say. What happened was there was a professor of theology, because of course if you're gonna be a priest, you take theology courses. And there was a professor of theology, a layperson, layman, who nevertheless had a PhD, and he started telling us all how, first of all, gotta understand this, the Catholic Church teaches that the priest is another Christ. In other words, when you go up on that altar, and you, you hold up the host, or you hold up the chalice, and you say, for this is my body, or for this is the blood of the new covenant, you know, etc. You are acting as Christ at that moment. You are literally Jesus Christ, quote unquote, at that moment. And so, you know, he said, well, if you want to be like Christ, this professor told us, you have to do the kind of stuff Christ did. And that made sense, you know. And then he says, well, you know what Jesus did? He went out and studied under the gurus in India. He went to Egypt and studied under the Magi. He studied with the Lamas in Tibet, and he told this story about how there's this monastery where we have all these scrolls that talk about this wise person that came to Tibet called Isa. And that Isa was actually Jesus. And so he said, if you want to be like Christ, if you want to be another Christ, then you have to learn these occult techniques. This is how Jesus turned water into wine. This is how Jesus healed people, walked on water, etc. So you know, what did I know? I was like 18 or 19 years old. This guy was, you know, like had a PhD and he was a highly respected professor. So I started going out and getting books on the occult, which were few and far between. I actually had to join an occult book of the month club in order to get them, because in, in, anywhere in the town I was living in, in Dubuque, there was nothing. And I finally got a hold of a book on witchcraft, and it was by a lady named Sybil Leek, and she was the first female witch to come out and actually teach that witchcraft is a religion. Um, that it isn't just, you know, like the Wizard of Oz, this green, ugly lady with warts, you know, who flies around her broomstick and goes, <laughs> like that. No. That witches are actually a religious group, just like Buddhists are, just like Jews are, just like whatever. And so that intrigued me, because it looked like here's a religion that, that is part of its religious practice actually teaches you how to be psychic, how to do these things. And especially when I read in some witchcraft book that Jesus was a witch. That he had his coven of twelve apostles and because there's a coven of thirteen, that's the size of a witch coven. And that each of the apostles had a working partner who was a woman and that Jesus, of course, had Mary Magdalene. Now this, I will t- this is like forty years ago, you know, so you know, all this foo-fura about the Da Vinci Code or whatever. Well, this, you know, we knew about this stuff 40 years ago. So anyway, I decided I got to be a witch. I was about a sophomore in college at this point. I wrote to the king of the witches. I, I figured, hey, let's go right to the top, right? And um, so uh, he, his name was Alex Sanders, and he was a high-level witch in London. And he gave me the address of a nearby coven where I could go and be initiated because witchcraft is an initiatic religion, you have to go and have someone sort of, you know, kind of zap you to get into witchcraft. So, this is an example of me when I was in college, practicing witchcraft. Uh, Some people say I looked like Jerry Garcia, you know, but uh, I don't know if I think that's a compliment or not. Anyhow, as you can see, I was kind of the typical hippie witch, uh, and... um, this is actually taken because I was also making movies at the time, and this is a portrait for the film I was directing. Uh, while in college, uh, I did all sorts of things which I don't have time to go into, but, but I learned how to do trance mediumship, I learned how to do even like occult exorcisms, things like that. So it was, it was a pretty wild ride. By the time I was, a, I think, a senior in college, I decided I didn't want to be a Catholic priest anymore. Big surprise. Uh, For one thing, uh, I'd been at at the uh, St. Rose Priory at that time. It was a Dominican seminary in Dubuque. and, And the guy there was actually practicing the occult. The professors were doing ceremonial magic and thaumaturgy. In fact, how many of you have heard of Matthew Fox? Anybody? I guess not. Well, you're probably not up on apostate. teachers. (laughs) Matthew Fox is a very popular writer among very liberal Catholics and Episcopalians and New Agers and he's the one who coined the term creation spirituality. Uh, Creation spirituality is the worship of the earth and the worship of sexuality. It's a kind of an academic word for for witchcraft. Well he was at this seminary at that time. He was a Dominican priest. About, I think, 10 or 12 years ago, he was kicked out of the Dominican order by the Roman church for being a a heretic, but the Episcopalians took him in. So anyway, you know, I'll just let that drop and you can decide what you want about it. So I decided I couldn't, I didn't want to do the celibacy thing because I was reading all this stuff in witchcraft about how you have to have a man and a woman, male and female, yin and yang, goddess and God. You know, so I, I figured I didn't want to spend my life being celibate. And so I took a leave of absence when I graduated from college and instead became a music teacher. And uh, oddly enough, in a Catholic school. So here I was, a practicing witch, teaching music in a Catholic high school. And I had a pentagram around my neck, and you know, I wore it on top of my necktie and everything, every day to work. And I taught the nuns how to do yoga and astrology. And I was giving you know tarot card readings at the church fairs to raise money for the school. And can't imagine why they ultimately fired me, can you? <laughs> anyway, they only fired me after I raised so much money for them, I don't know. Anyhow, along the way, while I was teaching there, I was, I was doing all this magic because I needed a working partner. I needed a priestess. And I ran into my wife. Uh, this is a picture taken of her at that time, Sharon. And I, I put some of these pictures in here because some people have claimed I really don't have a Sharon. I just made her up to make me look better. You know, because they, they say, well, she never comes with you. She never speaks, you know, whatever. And I say, here she is. This is Sharon. So, you know, now you know what she looks like. At this time, we already had a coven of six members. This was in 1972. Um, this is a picture of me drawing down the moon on Sharon. That's a, that's a ritual that's done where where basically you believe the moon goddess comes down and possesses the high priestess of the coven, and then she speaks like an oracle to the, um, to the people, and it's done every full moon. Uh, this is our wedding. We were married in 1974 in a witch wedding. Uh, our wedding cake was a Vulcan idic, for those of you that might have been into Star Trek at some point. That's the sacred symbol of the planet Vulcan. Uh, and we, of course, blurred out the faces of some of the people present because we didn't want to have them get mad at me. Uh, This is our wedding portrait. The guy in black there was the one of the major leading witches in Milwaukee. All this actually was done in a park in Dubuque. Uh, You can see we're both kind of the quintessential flower children, you know, with flowers in our hair and green robes and all that kind of stuff. So that was, and then at that point we went and um, went down and studied in Arkansas for a while under the Grand Master Druid of North America. And uh, he's the one that actually taught us a lot of the, a lot of the other things we needed to get into because he, he highly recommended that I should get involved with Freemasonry, that I should get involved with um, Mormonism if I had an opportunity, that these were organizations were full of occult Luciferian knowledge if one knew how to manipulate it. This is a post-wedding portrait of Sharon. I just put that in there because I'm so proud of my wife. It doesn't have anything to do with the occult, but I just think she's a cutie. Anyhow, still do. Uh, anyway, so this is, we moved to Milwaukee in 19, let's see, 1974 because there were 80 people there that had wanted us to train them how to be witches. And so we went there, and partly because I couldn't get a job in Dubuque, it was a bad period in the economy. And um, so we had class after class after class where we were teaching people witchcraft. And we were the, the ancillary stuff too, you know, astrology, tarot cards, mediumship, parapsychology, astral travel. And we just, you know, we were a virtually a little free university. We'd have a semester and we'd have about 10 or 15 people. We'd train them and then we'd run them through. And, and then we'd, we'd and they see, you can only have 13 members in a coven. And so we set up two or three different covens, and Sharon became a witch queen, which means someone who has a high priestess who has several covens under her. Uh, one of the people in the coven at that time happened to have a dad who was the junior warden of, of a Masonic lodge in Heartland, Wisconsin. Now, a junior warden is like one of the top three officers in a Masonic, local Masonic body. And so I thought, well, this, this high-level druid, the grandmaster of all druids in North America, whose name, oddly enough, was Eli, he said, if I ever had an opportunity to join the Masons, do so. So I had said, well, can this guy get me into the Masons? And, and so he did, and you see there, that's my certificate for, if, I don't know how well you can see it, but um, all of these things are in my books if you want to see better documentation. On uh, March 24, 1977, I was finally raised to the sublime degree of a Master Mason, which is the, the top of the Blue Lodge degrees. Uh, subsequently, I went on and went through York Rite, went through Scottish Rite, went through the Shrine. So basically, I did essentially everything one could do in Masonry and, and even some stuff that most people can't do in Masonry, as we'll see later. Along the way, now this might seem a radical change of direction. But a funny thing happened to me. I, was, I had just been made a high priest of the Druidic order. I was a high priest of witchcraft. And we were down in Chicago visiting some friends at the Temple of the Pagan Way, which is another occult organization. Chicago is full of them. Anyway, we all got together, and, and guess what movie was playing at that time? Big, huge movie, The Exorcist. And so we thought, oh, this will be a kick. Let's go see the movie. And so three, and there were like three sets of high priest, high priestess, witches. Three couples, plus the guy who was the head of the Temple of the Pagan Way in Chicago. And we all sat in this theater, and we were all scared to death. I mean, it was so funny because this, this lady who was sitting next to me, who wasn't Sharon, she was like another high priestess. She grabbed my hand in this like death grip and wouldn't let it go for the whole movie. And I don't know if any of you have defiled your minds by seeing that film, but that is probably the evilest movie ever made. And it was so profoundly scary and evil, for reasons I don't have time to go into, that the, the fellow who we were staying with down there, who happened to be an epileptic, he actually had a grand mal seizure that night. It was so, it had hit his nervous system that, that, that violently. And it kind of scared me, and I thought, well, gee, maybe I should do something with this Catholic thing. I'd kind of put the whole Catholic scene aside. Well, as it happens, uh, I I heard through a friend of mine who ran an occult bookstore that that there was an old Roman Catholic church in town. Now, probably none of you even heard of the old Roman Catholic church. But what it is, it's a branch of the, uh, of the Church of Utrecht in Holland, which was cut away from the Vatican, by various Protestant Catholic divisions back in the 1700s. And so this has existed as a whole separate parallel church to the Catholic Church. The only difference is, is one, they allow a married clergy, two, they say the mass in the vernacular, and three, they do not accept the last two councils. In other words, Vatican I or Vatican II. So this fellow was willing to ordain me, get me ordained through the, to the priesthood in exchange for me ordaining him a witch priest. So he kind of, you know, swapped initiations. So this is a picture of me. This is actually during the ordination ceremony down. This is in St. Paul's Church, old Catholic church in Joliet, Illinois. There's my certificate, June 5, 1976. I already explained about the Roman rite of Utrecht. Uh, this is another shot of the same thing where I'm kneeling and the bishop there is about to lay hands on me. Notice his little Dagon fish hat that he's wearing. That's, that's very important. Uh, okay, so, and all this, you see, it was like I was gathering power. This is how I looked at it. Because, see, this, this druid guy had explained to me that there's all these different currents of occult power. And I I explain all this in my book, Lucifer Dethroned, but like for for all of the, you know, you have the 13 members of Jesus' coven, right? And each one of those apostles had a certain current of power that went out for him. Like, for example, the Joannine current of power was the Freemasons. The Petrine current for Peter was the Roman church, and so on and so on and so on. And so it was like I was going around picking up these things sort of like, you know, hash marks on my spiritual aura or whatever. So that's what I was doing. I wasn't just being... People might think, well, what kind of a wacko person is a witch and goes and is ordained a Catholic priest? Well, it's not as strange as you think, and we'll explore more about that later. Um, Anyhow, once I'd gone this far, another thing happened. Um, This same friend who stood up at my wedding as my best man he owned this occult bookstore in Milwaukee I referred to. And he said, one day he came up to me and he says, you know, you really ought to read this book. And he handed me a copy of the Satanic Bible. Now, if you talk to anybody who's a white witch, they'll say, oh, witches aren't Satanists. Witches don't believe in Satan. We worship nature. You know, we're, we're out skipping through the woods, gathering herbs and worshiping the, worshiping the gentle goddess and the great God. You know, tra-la-la. So, you know, this was sort of odd, because this guy was supposedly a Wiccan. But he said, this guy has some good ideas. So I read the book, and I found out that indeed, Anton LaVey, who wrote the Satanic Bible, the guy who was the head of the Church of Satan for many years, that he did have some interesting ideas. And you see, this is how it works. Once you set your foot in this direction, you know, you get more deceived, you get more deceived. You know, it's not like I woke up, you know, one morning when I was a high school kid and said, I want to worship the devil. You know, it was a gradual process, and especially when you understand that the Church of Satan doesn't worship the devil. How many of you realize that? The Church of Satan does not worship the devil, they just view the devil as a symbol, as an archetype. Now, there are, of course, Satanists that do worship the devil, but that's why, basically, we call uh, the Church of Satan, Comic Opera Satanism, because it's really not that serious a thing. Not that it's not dangerous, but compared to other forms of Satanism, it's not that dangerous. So I went through the first degree of the Church of Satan and then made it all the way up to second degree. You'll notice there, that's my certificate. I was made a warlock in the Church of Satan. You'll notice there down at the bottom is Anton LaVey's autograph. I have the dubious distinction of having his autograph. I want to note that in the last paragraph, it says the Church of Satan, having passed before the Council of Nine, order of the trapezoid by all the powers of hell, so it is done. That's kind of like saying amen. Well, notice that order of the trapezoid, because that's going to be important later. This is what set me on what occultists call the left-hand path. And from then on, I was both pursuing masonry and many other things and still doing the Catholic priest thing, but I was also doing the satanic thing. Now, you might think, how could anybody do that at the same time? Well, you've got to realize, first of all, once you get into, once you get past the basic Satanism of Anton LaVey's Church, you discover that in order to be a practicing Satanic priest, you first of all had to be a Catholic priest. Do you realize that? Now, this is not intended as a slam on Catholicism, although there's certainly a, a talk there somewhere. <laughs> but the problem is, is that you see uh, the classical Black Mass, les mess noirs, in the in the French, is a ritual that's an inversion of the Catholic ceremony, the Catholic liturgy that you've all probably seen pictures of if you've not actually attended one. And except they have the cross upside down, the priest wears dark vestments, and they, they have a naked woman on the altar. And what they do is they, they, they believe that the host is really the body of Jesus. And so they abuse this host they stomp on it, they urinate on it, they do things I won't even describe to it, and they believe by doing that, they're torturing Jesus. Now, this is, this is bizarre, I know, but this is what they believe. And, and so, it's really handy if you can have a priest there to do his hocus-pocus. Now, how many of you realize the word hocus-pocus comes from the Latin Mass? Did you know that? It was a thing that Protestants came up with to make fun of Catholics, because the words in Latin... The priest picks up the host, and he says, for this is my body. And what that is, is Latin is, hoc est inum corpus meum. So it's like hocus pocus. And the idea that you, you, you'd say this as a priest, and poof, this, priest, this piece of bread turns into the body of Jesus. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. And ditto with the wine. So anyway, then, then if you were actually a Catholic priest who was also a satanic priest, you could do the satanic mass, have the host right there, and you could abuse it to your heart's content, and thereby thinking you were somehow insulting, you know, Jesus Christ up in heaven. So it's not as bizarre as you think. If you, if you look at the history of Satanism, most of the prominent Satanists were also Catholic priests or Catholic bishops. Uh, I'll just name two. Alistair Crowley, some of you may have heard of him. He was consecrated a bishop in the old Roman church. And also Anton LaVey. Believe it or not, he ended up doing the same thing I did. He got a Greek Orthodox bishop, who shall remain nameless, to consecrate him a bishop in return for him making the Greek Orthodox bishop a priest of Satan.
0: Today, we live in unsettling times. Have you ever wondered what you're going to do when food is no longer on the shelves? I'm Leslie owner and founder of Joseph's Kitchen, and I want to show you how to make healthy homemade whole wheat bread for only a few hundred dollars a year.
1: At Joseph's Kitchen, our ingredients have been packaged for immediate use or long-term storage. Go to josephskitchen.com or call the number on your screen to order today. Don't get caught unprepared. Go to josephskitchen.com now.